0: Impact Driven Entrepreneur Episode 151. Can I address the Black Lives Movement in my business? Uh, we have Dr. Monica Ogando to explain to us a little bit about what speaking up might look like, how to do it gracefully, beautifully, etc., and what some of the things are that you can do right now in your coaching practice. All right, stay tuned. You're here to make a difference. It's our job to help you do that. Welcome to the Impact Driven Entrepreneur Podcast, the podcast that helps you to build a thriving coaching company by becoming a thriving, impactful CEO. We do that through the impact formula methodology. And what this means is that you're going to be selling out your offers, scaling beyond one-on-one into group programs and leveraging a team so that you can exponentially increase your income and slash your work week. It's time to experience the true income impact and freedom you deserve. Welcome to the Impact of an Entrepreneur. Today, I have Dr. Monica Ogando here with us. She is a mentor of mine and has helped me so much with all things money and being a woman. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and kind of let
1: everybody know about yourself. Sure. Dr. Monica Ogando, I am a business coach uh, focusing on three things, leadership, communication, and profits, as Mariana hinted to. And my job is to make sure that particularly women entrepreneurs are number one, harnessing their own personal mastery, their leadership as far as running their own companies, et cetera, that they are communicating in a, for internally with their team and externally with their customers in such a way that um, positions their brand and that they serve at their highest level. And then also setting up their businesses profit-wise and themselves with financial literacy so that they can leave a legacy worth their efforts.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Um, and can you, um, I love the way that you kind of meld the business coaching and the finance side with the woo side. Can you talk about that for
1: a second? Yeah, <laughs> think- The money, and the magic, the dharma and the data. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times people think that they're mutually exclusive, that in order for you to be successful in the world, that you have to either stamp down or maybe even put in the back burner, your spirituality or your internal, you know, process of mastery. And I don't agree with that at all. I think that they are actually symbiotic I think you can't get one without the other and to the extent that people are successful by suppressing that their their spirituality their emotional side their 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 woo as you say eventually they implode Mm. like a hundred percent of the time and so my suggestion to anybody that teaches with me that studies with me that works with me is how about let's just walk these parallel paths together now and work that out now so that you don't get to the end of the road and have a heart attack or have a divorce or have your children estranged from you or climb a mountain and be like, oh, I was climbing the wrong mountain on a mm-hmm. Because there's a, there's a crisis of consciousness that happens when, when you get there and you realize, wow, I've left a piece of me behind. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And so I had asked you to come on to talk a little bit about what's happening in the world today with the Black Lives Matter movement. And I've been privileged to be in your circles and to join your grace talk last week. And one thing I'm noticing with a lot of the people in my audience is they're still really silent and really mm-hmm. afraid to talk.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I can totally I mean I I will say I can relate to being afraid, right? Afraid of saying the wrong thing, afraid of stepping on toes. Sure. And can you just shed some light here in terms of the logical perspective as well as the woo and like everything that you do? Because you're just brilliant at your
1: work. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> um, okay. I'm wondering how far down the rabbit hole we want to go. <laughs> as far as you want. Okay. All right. <laughs> Well, so there's a couple, there's several layers that are that are happening here. One is that there is a whole swath of human beings that have been dealing with racism, systemic and otherwise, um, overt and covert, micro and macro aggressions, etc, for a long time, generations. And now that it's kind of gotten to a critical mass point there's a whole swath of other people that are like i never knew that Mm -hmm. i didn't i didn't know it was like that for you and we have to grapple with the people that are on that swath of i never knew or i didn't think it was that bad have to grapple with where have you been exactly where have you been that people have been saying this for decades and you've turned a blind eye we we have to we have to now examine your relationship, not just to the humanity of other people, but to your own—that that you would deny a piece of you this way, collectively, right? And that's not an easy discussion to have. That's not an easy confrontation to have. We like to do the painful things in secret, in silence. We don't like to air out our "quote unquote" dirty laundry. We live in a culture that penalizes mistakes, and uh, and you can see that now even with this whole thing like cancel culture, where it's like if you if you um, say something out of your own ignorance, you're liable to lose your job, you're liable to just get reamed in social media, you know, but before you know it, people know your address and where your children go to school. And so I can understand why somebody would say, if I'm going to pay a price, I'd rather pay the price of saying nothing than of saying something and having my whole life or livelihood or taken away or my children put in danger, et cetera. So I understand that thinking. And yet that thinking is based on privilege because there are some people who are, have been bringing this up, not because it's like a cute little social media thing to talk about. Nobody wants their name as a hashtag because they're dead. It's costing people lives, you know what I mean? I, I was watching a video of, um, of George Floyd's um, daughter with her mother and the interviewer, the journalist, asked her you know, what, what she wants to be when she grows up and she says, I wanna be a doctor because I wanna help people. And the mom, of course, was in tears. It's just a very like emotionally heavy moment because we know that this child is going to grow up without our father. And according to everybody who knows George Floyd, they were talking about how loving of a father he was and how dedicated he was to his daughter, et cetera. And I don't know about you, but I have always been a daddy's little girl. <laughs> so to me, I'm like, I don't even, I can't imagine, based on the life that I've had, I can't imagine what it's like to grow up without my father, right? Um, and so there's that humanity piece of, I have never met George Floyd. I don't, I, if, if, I, if, if, he, if that video had not gone viral, I would have gone my entire life without knowing who he was, whether he had children or not, what he did for a living, what his criminal record was like, et cetera. And yet um, knowing about what happened to him uh, created a connection because I can empathize with, I have never witnessed anybody be killed in person It's only been videos and it's easy to kind of dehumanize people because you see it in the movies, on TV shows all the time. So seeing it on social media is kind of like a proxy of a movie or a television show. It's easy to disengage from that. It's easy to be able to say, "Okay, well, I saw that and that was horrible. And then go on about your merry way. And so we have to we have to grapple with, you know, where where do I stand on my convictions? What am I willing to do? Lose everything for, and and there are people who have been saying that for years and decades and generations. Except that it's not about losing a job for them; it's losing their life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so you know the what we're going through right now is, again, this has been happening for decades, and there have been protests, there have been riots, particularly around police brutality, especially when. Um, we get frustrated because the justice system does not, does not punish these people. Mm-hmm. Um, they can, if you and I put our knee on somebody's neck and in eight minutes that person died, you better believe it wouldn't take three days to arrest us, especially if that video had gone viral. You yeah. know what I mean? And so there's a certain level of privilege that they too carry because of a badge, right? And right. with good reason, they risk their lives every day, right? But there are, uh, there are some that abuse their power and so we must bring them to account. Why we don't want to do that collectively, and why we would be able to justify somebody's abuse of power speaks to, from a universal law perspective, our own desire to, um, to have power and to wield it as we wish. Mm-hmm. And again, we do not want to look at that. We don't want to look at the inner sadist. We don't want to look at the inner uh, brat, the person that gets away with things, up to and including murder. And to the degree that I am unwilling to look at that within myself, I refuse to see it outside of me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so when somebody brings it to your attention, and and in in a way, kind of like how we do with dogs, when dogs ruin the carpet, and then you rub the dog's um, face in it to discourage him from doing it again, we don't want that either. (laughs) That's very unpleasant, right? (laughs) And so there are people who have been losing their lives and they're like, yeah, (laughs) you don't want to look at it. Imagine having to live through it. Do you know what I mean? Um, So cosmologically, astrologically, metaphysically, everything that you see outside of yourself, you're actually um, in. There's a piece of you that wants to integrate. That wants to integrate the shadow and the light that wants to integrate the higher with the lower. And to the degree that there are pieces of your own character that you've been unwilling to look at, you'll never reach that integration piece. There's there's always going to be a piece of you that you're hiding from, that you're silent about, that that you're trying to ignore. And what happens with that, just like I said about success, is that you keep kicking the can down the road. Eventually, it's going to implode. And that's what we're seeing collectively now.
0: Right. It's like the eruption of that. Yeah, Yeah. right. Yeah. And what do you think is so you said okay if you haven't seen anything wrong up until now that is a privilege right like if you have been not wanting to see it up until now it's a privilege and i also see that like seeing it now for the first time is is a, like all of that is a privilege right seeing the gravity of it and for me what has helped the most in that and i mean you can you know say what you think is going to be helpful one the the main like you're not going to be educated about this in school like mm-hmm. i can tell you i i went to a masters degree program never learned what system, systemic racism was like it, you can go pretty advanced in your career in your learning etc and never learn about it yeah what, yeah so like is that up to each person to now go do like is that what you recommend? Like how, and then where,
1: where do you go? Where do you yeah,
0: start? Where do you even start? How do you know that sources are good sources? I think is another question I ask. Um, yeah. Especially so, you're, you have a PhD. So like you understand, like making sure we have good credible sources for information. Yeah. So yeah. are good unbiased sources in terms of like, not going to be i don't know how much scholarly articles there are on this right like yeah right you know what i mean
1: i mean and even those depends on who funded it and exactly you know, the and that goes, goes into the whole system mm-hmm. yeah so <clears throat> this is just <laughs> the. it's almost like the universe is asking us all to grow the f up mm-hmm. you know um there is a point a point in in the human life cycle with your parents where, where it's, it's all downloaded right? So from like the time of conception, and you've heard me talk about this in my yes. program, Women, Wealth, and Worthiness, from the time of conception to the time you're about seven years old, you're just a sponge and you're downloading everything. From mom being stressed about money or being stressed about this pregnancy, maybe it was a surprise, maybe it was a burden. So you kind of grow up in the waters of, quite literally, in the waters of, I'm not supposed to be here. And if, if from your zero to seven, you are bombarded with like your mom is just mad or your caregiver, feminine or otherwise, is just like upset that she has to deal with you, et cetera. Then in your subconscious, you have this idea of like, I have to earn my place in the world and you become performative in your love. So mm-hmm. you get good grades or you are tidy or you don't speak too much, you don't complain too much because you want to be as least of a burden as possible. And that's how you get your love when you're zero to seven. right? And what happens is that some, some of us are stunted emotionally at the seven-year-old level and you get bigger body and you get boobs and you get, you know, facial or facial hair or whatever, and you look like an adult, but you're still managing with seven-year-old's emotional tools. And so then we become performative there too. It's like, if I get a job and if I do this, if I do that, then, I, then I'll be good. Then I'll be loved. Then I'll be accepted. But all of that stuff is happening in the un, in the subconscious and the unconscious. And it, it takes something Uh, I don't want to say traumatic, but pivotal, because it's not always traumatic, like painful, but it's pivotal, like wake you up to to shift your orientation, to have you question things. I remember for me, when I was growing up, um, you know, I always wanted to hang out with the adults. I was the oldest one of three, and I always wanted to hang out with the adults. And I remember having the thought, uh, after I watched my parents having like, you know, one of those dinners where children are supposed to be seen and not heard my parents straight up bold-faced lied <laughs> to these people that were having dinner with and they're supposed to be their friends and da 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 da, but they said something to that person that I had heard them say something completely opposite to somebody else. So either you lied to them or you lied to these people, but you lied somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then I heard these other people say something to them that I knew that it was also untrue. And I was like, what are these people playing? What is this game? Because I had always been taught, you know, you tell the truth and you don't lie and da da da. And so I wanted to, you know, just correct it because when you're like, whatever, five or six years old, you're thinking, oh, I'm just gonna be helpful and I'm gonna correct it. I'm gonna tell the truth, you know? Um, and I got into a lot of trouble. And then I remember I was thinking to myself, oh, these people are fucking liars. And I thought that my life shattered. Like, if I can't trust these people that are supposed to be in charge of everything, who can you trust? And for a long time, I thought that that was where my paradigm shift broke. I felt like something was broken because that trust uh, of of depending on somebody who was supposed to be a caregiver broke for me. Uh, So again, it wasn't anything traumatic, nothing violent happened necessarily. It was just a dinner party. Mm-hmm. And, and have been yelled at by my parents because I butted into a conversation. It wasn't until much later that I discovered that because that happened, I then started questioning everything. I started researching everything. I was like, mm, I don't know what you're saying here about God. Let me go look for myself. I don't know what you're <laughs> saying here about history. Let me go look for myself. Right. And so um, what I thought was painful, what I thought was cynical, what I thought was a loss was actually preparing me for everything else that that I've done in my life, including two PhDs. Um, So I think that what's happening is people are being uh, awakened to grow up. You you can no longer afford in this global economy, you can no longer afford to just go on the things that have been downloaded to you and assume that that's just the way the world works. It doesn't. It's kind of like you know, thinking that everybody's house operates the way mommy and daddy's house works. It doesn't, right? There's a whole bigger world out there. And we're confronting, well, shit, how clueless have I been? Why don't I know this? And who, who knows this information, et cetera, et cetera. So to answer your, a long answer to your question is, yes, you do have to go looking for yourself. And that's not unique to you that's part of being a fully grown self-expressed human being. Welcome <laughs> to the human Welcome race. <laughs> adult, <Rihanna. laughs> Welcome to adulthood. Um, but then the other part is, you know, um, as a researcher, you, you know that there's a difference between qualitative and quantitative research. Yeah. Qualitative research is anecdotal. Um, it depends on people's lived and expressed experiences and quantitative is just a volume of data points. Uh, that don't necessarily depend on anecdotes, but there are unique data points even within those anecdotal experiences. And so you have to use your critical thinking and your spiritual discernment Mm -hmm. to be able to see what is for you. And I promise you, I promise you that spiritually, cosmologically, if something wasn't relevant to you, you wouldn't have seen it. And even if somebody put it in your face, you wouldn't have recognized it. There have been many times when somebody tells you, this is how you open a checking account and this is how you budget and this is how you build your credit and this is how you invest and this is how you blah, blah, blah. And people are like, phew. (laughs) It just, (laughs) it doesn't land, right? It doesn't (laughs) land. (laughs) So, but then all of a sudden you have children or you go through a divorce or you lose your job and now you're an entrepreneur or blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, now this is relevant. (laughs) Now (laughs) Now I need to educate myself. (laughs) I got to get it together. (laughs) So it's the same thing with, race relations with the global economy, with cultural um, appreciation, et cetera. It's like, there was a point in your life when this was not relevant. Mm-hmm. And yes, people were dying. And yes, people's humanity were being crushed, literally and figuratively. And now it is relevant, because now it's in your face and you notice it. So now that you're aware and awake to it, now you have a responsibility to educate yourself as much as possible, and to be as active based on your convictions as possible. Because see, what people don't want to um, cop to is that there's a part of you that's lazy mm-hmm. and that there's a part of you that chooses comfort over challenge, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And so, and that, but that's just like, I mean, that's just the human condition, you know? If given the choice, sleep or go work out, I'm gonna choose to sleep. And so it's the same thing here, except that now the stakes are higher. Now you understand there are people's lives at stake. People are being denied basic human rights. And so then the question becomes well, what kind of human being are you? And what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? And if you see anybody that has made a strong conviction when it was unpopular, they've paid a heavy price. We talk about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. now, like he's a freaking saint. But when he was alive, he was demonized. He, you know, his house was bombed. I don't know how many times. Um, His children were always in danger of being kidnapped or or killed or injured or bullied at the very least, you know? And so it wasn't fun to be this quote unquote hero that now has, you know, boulevards named after him all over major cities and a holiday that it took 30 years to, to nationalize. The same thing with Colin Kaepernick, the same thing with Muhammad Ali. When Muhammad Ali, um, was in the height of his career and he was a conscientious objector which was his constitutional right as an American citizen to say I object to this war and I am not going he still was threatened with jail he still lost his career he still spent five years out of out of you know the limelight et cetera. it cost him a lot and now we talk about Muhammad Ali like he was just you know this amazing prescient um, human being he was just operating from his conviction. So we have to understand that that what we're asking of each other is to do the uncomfortable, to do the unpopular. Except that now it's a little bit more popular. I don't know if you've seen it but you've been getting emails from a lot of marketers about, you know, we stand about this and we we also believe black lives matter and we stand for anti well where were you? just four weeks ago never mind you know a a year or 10 or whatever right Mm -hmm. so maybe now is the time to not be silent maybe now is the time to okay you know what let me ride this wave Mm -hmm. forget the morality of it forget the, the justification of it. but let me ride this wave so that i can educate myself especially because there's such a with social media there's such a an amazing like just abundance of resources out there that you can use to educate yourself yeah
0: Okay. Yeah, I think to to that point, like my my project manager and I were talking, like let's keep on the train, right? Like let's not let this train die off, right? I think that also becomes our responsibility as yeah. well.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So it's not a fad. It's it's like let's make real change Absolutely. happen.
1: Yeah. And we've, we've seen it before. There used to be a time when it, we considered it perfectly normal for a child your daughter's age to be in a factory working 12 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then we had child labor laws. Right. It, we thought it was perfectly normal to have somebody die at the job and, and not have their family be compensated until we had unions, until we had social security, until we had you know, pensions, et cetera, et cetera. So those changes happened because enough people stand up for it and that's what everybody's asking for it's like if you believe in justice then stand up for it just like i don't know if you saw that clip from Mirana, she was accepting an award and she says you know we all have partners and friends and colleagues from different races different cultures different sexual orientation so when you see something tell your friends to pull up if you're my friend pull up <laughs> i thought that was so succinct and beautiful love that um
0: Awesome. So where can, uh, anything else that you think is important to add to this conversation that we haven't covered
1: yet? If you don't have friends that are unlike you get to some, and I mean of all kinds of, um, dynamics, different gender, different race, different religions, different sexual orientations, different political leanings. I know that sometimes dealing with people who have different political leanings can be, um, very uncomfortable, especially nowadays with this political climate. But if you can just exercise the skill of being able to stand in front of something that you deeply uh, don't believe in, and still be able to listen to that other person's argument or listen to that other person's thinking or, or logic about it, and still empathize, you're doing a great service to your own critical thinking skills, to your own intelligence, to your ability to articulate your own point, to deepen your own convictions and to be an ally for somebody else's humanity, regardless of whether you agree with their philosophies. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You can see their, their, their humanity first. And then that's the first thing. And then the second thing that I would say is go get you some resources. I am happy to make a resource available to your audience. We distributed it with with our Grace Talks. Um, I I also have a a podcast called Your Circle of Influence, and we did a special edition last uh, week called Grace Talks for race conciliation. Um, And the Grace Talk was really an opportunity for people to come from a really like tense environment. It's something that I teach and I I certify people in. From a tense environment, from conflict, uh, from adversaries to allies, from conflict to grace, and from um, enmity to collaboration, and, you know, we were able to vent, we were able to share empathy, and the resources that we shared are available. To, it's a good starting point. It's not exhaustive, it's not an exhaustive list, but it's also not 30 pages worth of stuff that you have to wade through so that you can get started on educating yourself and also connecting with some groups and organizations that might be useful.
0: Yeah. And to your point, the the to the first, we'll we'll link to that in the show notes. I'll also, to your first point, one of the things I don't know if you know this, like one of the biggest things you taught me, was not to fear my triggers, mm-hmm. um, and to really be able to sit with them and and examine them and and yeah, love them. them. Yeah, curious. get super curious. Um, and I think that's what's happening a lot right now. People are being triggered in many ways, and. That's an opportunity for growth right there.
1: That's exactly right. And on both sides, I hate to sound like Trump. Oh yeah, 100%. On both sides, on you know, sides, to be able to say on one side, how could you not know that this was happening? What is wrong with you that yeah. this is so obvious to me and you've been so oblivious? And on the other side, to be able to say, why does this matter so much to you when I've been blind so much? Mm-hmm. When, I, when I haven't even, it hasn't even hit me. It doesn't mm-hmm. affect me. Why does this matter so much to you for both of these people to get curious about each other, I think would educate everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And I will say too, like as an immigrant, you know, I came here with one suitcase. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, it it doesn't apply to me. (laughs) I will be the first ignorant person to like say this out loud. Um, And that's not true. We have our, you know, what people see us as our color and then we have our country of origin. And I think those, it, it, that's what has been the most enlightening for me.
1: Yeah. Well, <clears throat> and to your point, um, there's a lot of anti-Blackness in Latin America, too. We, see it, in our, we see it in our novelas. You know, we yeah. see it in the, in the stereotypes and the racial tropes in our media, etc. Um, there are things that happen in Latin America media, commercials, that if you were to do it in the United States, you would get crucified. It's you so overtly yeah. racist. And, um, and I think that it behooves us, immigrants and, and Latinos alike, to also say, just like these people are, you know, uh, marching and protesting, etc. That's not the only way to make a difference. You can make a difference with your dollars. You can make a difference with um, um, calling your media, your TV, your senators uh, to task. There are those that use their words. I'm one of those people that use their words uh, and their money, right? To be able to say this, I agree with this, I disagree with. And no, you're not going to perpetuate this level of um, uh, discrimination and this level of racism on my dollars. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but in order for you to make that kind of decision, you have to educate yourself and be able to know where your dollars are going and what people believe in, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. And I will say
0: I, that's one of the things I noticed in Latin America. It's way more over than it is here. here it's very covert, and so that's again even wa- more important to be educated on the whole thing
1: yeah, exactly because yeah. a lot of a lot of people think immigrants come here and they're automatically allies and This is something that I've told my um, specifically my black American friends is all all skin folk ain't kin folk. You know what I mean? Like, just because people look like you doesn't mean that they, too, are running around with white supremacist thoughts in their heads, because it's a cultural thing. There's a difference between a white person and the consciousness of whiteness, that, that consciousness of whiteness, that, that those um, uh, white supremacist thoughts and words and ways of being and discrimination and habits and practices don't always come from white people. In Latin America, you have white people, but you can hide under, well, I'm a Latino, I'm an immigrant, et cetera. It's like, yeah, but you have blue eyes and blonde hair, you're white. <laughs> exactly.
0: That's my cousin. She literally has blonde hair, blue eyes, and she's
1: full 100% Venezuelan. <laughs> yes, right. Well, the difference is that in our countries, like I have people in my family that are also blonde and blue eyed. You could tell that I'm biracial. Um, and the thing is that in my country everybody's dominican whereas here in america you have all this hyphenation going on you have african American and irish american and so forth and i just want people to know that that anti-blackness is a global um it's a global pandemic yeah. and, and we're, it's coming to the forefront now and we we get to live in a, in a if we really do believe in inequity and equanimity we get to live that out in social policies and in our politics and the ways that we spend our money and not just in rhetoric. Thank you so
0: much for coming and chatting. Um and again we'll link to the show notes. Go check out our podcast. It's amazing. It's just starting and I've already listened to all of them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's so binge-worthy. <laughs> so good.
0: Um Thank you so much. And oh, it's called, so the, it's called the circle of influence. Your circle of influence. Your circle of influence. Um, Awesome.
1: And it's geared towards women entrepreneurs that are six and seven figure high achieving women, because I've noticed, I'm, I'm sure you have too, that when a woman builds a business, when a woman is rich, then she, her ripple effect grows and she can elevate her, not just her family, but our community as a whole. And so we want to empower women economically and and have the social equity of um, enlivening and empowering their circle of influence so that we can effect change in the world.
0: All right. So thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Get daily mindset strategy and support to grow your business for free. Join our community, the coaching for impact community on Facebook. Just go to impactdrivenentrepreneur.com slash community to join.